0: Alright, welcome, welcome, one and all, to Black History Month hey. with the Foreign Saints Podcast, fam. Hey. Alright, so we've got a lot to talk about this time, so skip the pleasantries, we're going to get into it <laughs> really quick, okay?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I want to do at least two episodes on uh, looking at some famous uh, speeches or just quotes or, or whatever um, from... Dr. King The Dr. King fam, Um, But because I think it's got uh, Important relevance for today Um, Not just for African Americans but if you Call yourself a Christian Really Really? Um, And I do I I don't mean that with any exaggeration Like there's There's a lot of stuff that still rings true And rings relevant uh, For the Christian walk In America today um, in you know, in the things that he said and wrote. And so for this episode, we're going to be looking at hopefully the entirety, I would like to do the entirety, of the letter from Birmingham jail.
1: Yeah.
0: And for for a couple of things. One, to remind us of the fact that, yes, he was a Christian, apparently a strong one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what he did was born out of the scriptures and not any sort of Political affiliation, right. uh, as some revisionist histories or have have attempted to do
1: right.
0: um, of late. I was listening to one uh, one Christian radio program that I actually really respect, but you know they were going on about like some of the sins and stuff in Dr. King's life, which I don't really have a problem with. But their conclusion from that was maybe we shouldn't venerate him as highly as we do. To which i was like yo <laughs> that's we don't no say that
2: about, like any other
0: no look, like
2: any other christian look pioneer if you will like
0: look i don't know what i don't know a lick about anything with his like infidelity mm-hmm. to his wife might be true might not be true i don't know you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i'm not a dr king biographer you know what i like i don't pretend to be yeah right i know what i know i don't know what i don't know what i do know though is that jonathan edwards owned slaves yeah and yet yeah no one ever says something like maybe we shouldn't Shouldn't venerate jonathan edwards (laughs) you know sinner in the hands of an angry god maybe we shouldn't
2: in fact it's like i don't i don't even remember like learning about those things when yeah. I first learned about Jonathan Edwards, that was not even mentioned. All you, when you learn about Jonathan Edwards the first time around, at least for me, was the revivals and his writings. You didn't, like, it wasn't until in recent history that I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Oh. Like, but at
2: the same time, it's like, what he said, man, like, sinners at the hands of an angry God, right? Read that. Yeah. I mean, I'm about to say, like, man, like, hello? Like,
0: like, I don't know if they still even... Like, have that be required reading in high school, because you mm-hmm. might accidentally have a rival break out in your freaking <laughs> honors English class reading that, you know? Like, but no one no says one throw about, it all yeah. in the trash because of what is, in my opinion, a more egregious error.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, look, if I had to pick the, between the two, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather you be unfaithful to your wife and fix it, as it seems he did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Than, you know, kidnap, be be a part of kidnapping and enslaving human beings and treating them in deathly ways and never fixing it. I just like.
2: While simultaneously preaching the gospel.
0: Yeah, like, weird when you're doing devotionals inside and, like, your hired hands are, like, whipping humans outside the freaking house during a vote. Like, that's. That's Not to say
2: that, you know. You promote adultery because that's not what you're saying, but yeah. there's definitely more egregious things than others.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, and so I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of this revisionist history that is creeping up and will definitely uh, increase yeah. um, through the years, especially with the demonization of anything that even smells slightly of social justice within certain yeah. areas of the church. Um, and as I was saying to you, Meredith, um, something that you definitely want me to repeat um it's a lot easier for the enemy to divide the body presently mm-hmm. if he can divide the body historically right. and by that what i mean is if the enemy can convince you that certain really strong christians mm. in the past weren't actually christians were just you know, really good social justice warriors, but not really Christian, then
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're not going to hear anything of Christ that that person had to say that may be very relevant to you today.
2: Right. And, you know, as we were talking before we hit record, just how, like, that, that is, in my opinion, the, a fruit of how our politics have crept into our um, personal walks with the Lord. In that, you know, whether you're red or blue, like, if, say, you're red, there's absolutely nothing good that a Democrat can say, right? Like, that's, that's train of thought of you have to be one polarized side. St- like that can instead flow into how you talk about Jesus in things like in this arena, you know, that a, a, a believer who's done tremendous works for the kingdom, who died a Christian to our knowledge, you know, does his testimony mean absolutely nothing because he fell for a season, you know?
0: Yeah. Do we, do we chuck out all do the th- songs? Yeah. David?
2: Right. Hello. <laughs> David who committed murder, adultery, just a plethora of things. Who
0: actually committed murder. Yeah. But would have committed more if it wasn't for yeah. the wise counsel of his like first wife. Mm-hmm. You know, like like so we skip over that. Like David would have killed a dude and burned down his whole property if not for right. his wife being like, Yo, chill.
2: Right. So all that to be said that like we can't throw out the letter from Birmingham Jail because of Dr. King's adultery unless right. you also want to throw out a lot of the Bible, to be yeah. honest. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like
2: Because every single human being that put God's words on paper, you know, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But was also a broken human being, which is part of the miracle of having the Bible yeah. that we can access.
0: Miracle of salvation right there, man. Right. The other thing that I brought up um, is that you you get saved into a context,
1: mm.
0: right? And so if you picture all of Christian history, which we have yet to live through, right? Because Jesus isn't back yet. Yeah? yeah. But if you picture all of Christian history like a basketball game or basketball season, Right your moment of salvation the day you were saved the moment you were saved is when you were put in the game you know right you know what i'm saying like like you're on the bench or you're in the game whatever like you got a jersey now right but christian history has been way longer than you yeah brother or sister like way longer you know you you got saved almost two thousand years into the game right right there's a there's a context that you get saved into right. And the reason I bring that up is because you can have a true salvation. Like I don't tend to doubt people's salvation until they give me severe reasons to or if they just say it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but you get saved into a lot of situations that have been ongoing before you came into the kingdom.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Conviction without context makes it very easy for christians to be taken in by any fool selling theological you know snake water man right. like like come on
1: yeah
0: you need it and i will give it i'll give an interesting example right the example i literally was speaking before hitting record bro like so you just read Revelation in context, you actually understand this and stuff. You understand that the beast is not a microchip, but it is the worship of a nation. You actually understand that right. Mm-hmm. Um, check Revelation 13 or an earlier episode. We got a self plug. <laughs> and so, you have a wariness towards the church being influenced by the state at any level.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Fair. Good. That's neat. You know? And so, this conviction without context leads you to believe, oh, man, the government's trying to tell schools what to do. Maybe we should, you know, pull out and create our own thing or whatever. Like, we can't be influenced by the nation, can't be seduced by the beast. Okay, cool. Um, what specific thing was it that the nation was trying to push yeah. on your Christian schools at the time that made you want to kind of retreat from all that? Oh, it was some foolish thing about... You know, integration and, you know, <laughs> like, like the government yeah. saying that we have to let African Americans into our schools and not discriminate against them. But, you know, like separation of church and state. So, mm-hmm. so you see how a true conviction, mm-hmm. right? All that theology is fair, but because of your lack of knowledge of the context of what's going on socially,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you get seduced by any old fool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like,
2: And I think, too, expanding your context to the last few decades of American history directly impacts your current ministry today. Yeah,
0: we're just the nation that you live in. Right. Like, it's cool hearing stories of foreign missionaries, which we will definitely be expounding on, on this podcast, but mm-hmm. what is more relevant to your social right. context is hearing right. stories of people that suffered for the kingdom, like, right down the street from you.
2: Right. And are still directly impacted by that hurt from a few decades ago. You know, like we both have, you know, generations that are still alive on both sides of our family that were alive when segregation was a thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, talking Jesus to them or friends that are also in that, you know, generational, um, in that generation, those conversations matter you know like how you talk about that in the context of our nation matters in giving them Jesus or just talking life and loving accordingly you know
0: exactly and there's some other scripture to bring into but that will be saved for later in the episode for now we will let our guest speaker speak bring on dr king yeah bring on dr king um let's see letter from a birmingham jail i will be reading i know
2: because i'm boring i
0: don't know if you're boring (laughs) i'm just cool you're
2: just more of an engaged I'm i'm
0: just i'm just cool it's different you know but you halt you stop whenever you got something that you want to expound upon, and we will discuss that as we go.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, so it's going to be a bit of an audio book kind of thing. It's going to be a bit of a longer episode, but, dude, that's what podcasts are for. Yeah. So, look, man, all I'm saying is you if you can watch Two and a Half Hours of a Change My Mind with Stephen Crowder, and I love those, you can listen to this.
1: <laughs> that's all
0: I'm saying. All I'm saying. All right, so Letter from Birmingham Jail. I've looked, P- looked up a PDF um i'm just reading off my phone here all right you good to go Mm -hmm. all right here we go while confined here in the birmingham city jail i came across your recent statement calling our present activities unwise and untimely seldom if ever do i pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas If I sought to answer all of the criticisms that cross my desk, my secretaries would be engaged in little else in the course of the day and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I would like to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms.
2: Now, a couple years back um, when you and I first read through this together Mm -hmm. um, for like a separate thing, my first takeaway then, and then in rereading it uh, this week, is dang, that sounds like Paul. <laughs> <laughs> like, just the tone in which he writes, I'm like, man, that sounds familiar. You it, know, it does. It which, does. as we continue reading, it it will be abundantly clear as to why. But like, man, that 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 guy sounds familiar. Man, I've heard this somewhere.
0: The flex, bro. I'm too busy building to right. deal with the haters, bro.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> I think I should give the reason for my being in Birmingham. Since you have been influenced by the argument of of outsiders coming in, I have the honor of serving as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization operating in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We have some 85 affiliate organizations all across the South, one being the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Whenever necessary and possible, we share staff, educational, and financial resources with our affiliates. Several months ago, our local affiliate here in Birmingham invited us to be on call to engage in a nonviolent direct action program if such were deemed necessary. We readily consented, and when the hour came, we lived up to our promises. So I'm here, along with several members of my staff, because we were invited here. I'm here because I have basic organizational ties here. Beyond this, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is here just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns and just as the apostle paul left his little village of tarsus and carried the gospel of jesus christ to practically every hamlet and city of the greco-roman world i too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown like paul i must constantly respond to the macedonian call for aid
2: ah there it is <laughs>
0: didn't didn't yeah. realize this dude was deep it? did you uh
2: what is it you replicate what you emulate or something along those lines is that the phrase something something i don't know if that it's that i don't phrase? know if it's
0: the phrase but we'll make it one
2: yeah
0: all right you replicate what you emulate <laughs> right you know what i'm saying like yeah. that's, that's what you do yeah. that's what you do and um african-americans i know we all knew quote unquote that he was christian but like did y'all know he was christian like don't talk bad about jesus jesus gave you dr king yeah just saying. You can call the religion. your oppressors all you want to, but. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> You're here. Yeah. Because Jesus was thinking of you in the last century, my dude. Oh, man. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. Mm. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Ooh. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider.
2: It's almost like, uh, what is it, you know, That eye is not greater than the arm. Something about, like, we're all parts of one body.
0: You know, like yeah. it's, it's it's just understanding, <laughs> like like you're you're my neighbor. You just live a little further away than I do, right? Or you know than they do. But like we're you know
2: yeah
0: same family, my guy. Come from the same Adam. You deplore the demonstrations that are presently this, this taking. Part,
2: though, hmm? Sorry, this part that he's about to read, I think, is a part of like what you know what you were talking about a minute ago, babe. Just like how. The historical context directly impacts our current context. This paragraph I think some summarizes it well that you can't get mad at social justice in the past if you're also not gonna get upset about social injustices in the present. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like it's like all social justice back then was good
1: mm-hmm. and they just
0: lost the secret of how to do it good today. Yeah. That was weird. It was yeah. weird i'm not saying that they should have burnt down minneapolis i'm not saying (laughs) that (laughs) like that's that's actively a sin
2: but you should a lot of
0: sins compiled on each other actually Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but to act like the only bad in social justice is the social justice you're seeing on your tv screen Mm. is really myopic yeah
2: it's wild but yeah this this paragraph listen closely
0: you deplore the demonstrations that are presently taking place in birmingham But I'm sorry that your statement did not express a similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. I am sure that each of you would want to go beyond the superficial social analyst who looks merely at effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. I would not hesitate to say that it is unfortunate that so-called demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham at this time, but I would say in more emphatic terms that it is even more unfortunate that the white power structure, there's that evil word, of this city left the Negro community with no other alternative. Mm. In any nonviolent camp, now look, I'm going to interrupt myself (laughs) to say, I want you to hear how Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this is. Yeah. This is Sermon on the Mount, what he's about to say here. Yeah in any nonviolent campaign there are four basic steps interrupt myself again now the reason i point this out is not just for the christians listening to see what your faith looks like in practice in this nation historically right so how could we be a christian nation kind of thing but also for you know any any african americans that may listen to this podcast that are either questioning christianity or aren't chris or aren't christians right have hostile attitudes towards the faith hear this my dude i understand you might not have read matthew chapters five six and seven but trust me please when i say that this is the teachings of jesus played out all right you can i'm right there with you in criticizing the hypocritical colonialists that kidnapped our people right but look at this man Look what we become in Christ.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? And just be honest with yourself. Is this what you believed Christianity to be? Right? Any freedom that you walk in as an African American, you have to contribute to Christ at some level. Even if you hate him, you will not enjoy most of the freedoms you do if not for him. Yeah. Alright, so here this In any nonviolent campaign, there are four basic steps collection of the facts to determine whether injustices are alive, negotiation, self-purification, and direct action. We have gone through all of these steps in Birmingham. There can be no gainsaying of the fact that racial injustice engulfs this community. Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Its ugly record of police brutality is known in every section of this country. Its unjust treatment of Negroes in the courts is a notorious reality, There have been more unsolved bombings of Negro homes and churches in Birmingham than in any other city in this nation. These are the hard, brutal, and unbelievable facts. On the basis of them, Negro leaders sought to negotiate with the city fathers, but the political leaders consistently refused to engage in good faith negotiation.
2: pausing for a second. It grieves me, you know, like, he's saying all this stuff about Alabama, and I have um, a couple of friends that would still vouch that it's that way today.
0: Dang. I wouldn't know. I've never been. But... It's tough.
2: Yeah.
0: That's tough. I've been in some cities that are like this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I, I can believe that. Yeah. Then came the opportunity last September to talk with some of the leaders of the economic community. In these negotiating sessions, certain promises were made by the merchants, such as the promise to remove the humiliating racial signs from the stores. On the basis of these promises, Reverend Shuttlesworth and the leaders of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights agreed to call a moratorium on any type of demonstration, As the weeks and months unfolded, we realized that we were the victims of a broken promise. The signs remained, and in so many experiences of the past we were confronted with blasted hopes, and the dark shadow of a deep disappointment settled upon us. So we had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action, whereby we would present our very bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and national community, um, just keep in mind, Romans 12, presenting your body mm-hmm. a living sacrifice. This is your true spiritual worship. Just notice that there. We were not unmindful of the difficulties involved, so we decided to go through a process of self-purification.
2: Oh, this section here.
0: We started having workshops on nonviolence and repeatedly asked ourselves the questions, are you able to accept blows without retaliating? Mm. Matthew 5, and, are you able to endure the ordeals of jail? Mm. So, Matthew, and heck, Revelation, some of the letters. We decided to set our direct action program around the Easter season, realizing that, with the exception of Christmas, this was the largest shopping period of the year. Knowing that a strong economic withdrawal program would be the byproduct of direct action, we felt that this was the best time to bring pressure on the merchants for the needed changes. Then it occurred to us that the March election was ahead, and so we speedily decided to postpone action until after election day. When we discovered that Mr. Connor was in the runoff, we decided again to postpone action so that the demonstration could not be used to cloud the issues. At this time, we agreed to begin our nonviolent witness the day after the runoff.
2: Okay, this this section here is worth camping on for a second. So first and foremost, like that that last section of using wisdom, on when you are speaking out against injustice, right? Like, purposely planning, you know, for after the elections, that way people wouldn't have the excuse of, oh, well, you're just saying it's like a politically charged thing because you want to vote for somebody else, okay? It's not truthfully, you know, the passion of, you know, fighting for an injustice. It's just a political spiel, right? So, like, first and foremost using that. My main thing in this section is how many Christians of today are willing to do the same thing for their political ideas. You know, if we're going to call this a political idea, I would argue that what Dr. King is fighting for is, you know, scriptural. He's
0: he's calling people to repent.
2: Right, exactly. Like this is, like you said, perfectly like a call to repent. But, you know, in some minds, this is just a, a political thing, right? You know, like, you you see this, and he's saying that we decided to go through a a process of self-purification. You know, am I willing to endure the ordeals of jail, right? Am I able to uh, accept blows without retaliating? We hear all the time of Christians arguing that we should have a comfortable American Christianity and that we should, as a right, be comfortable and be able to practice Christianity in in schools and speak freely on these things. How many of you are willing to go to jail for the cause of Christ?
0: Well, to that, I should also say what we're looking at is American Christianity. If you want to put it that way, like, (laughs) like this dude, full bloodied American. Yeah. Would you call his walk comfortable? (laughs) Anything, but would you call any Christian that served with him living a comfortable Christian existence? Is this what it looked like to be a Christian in America? Yeah, You know, and I don't just mean because they're black,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: there were white reverence, mm-hmm. pay respect to them. You know, my man, Billy Graham, mm-hmm. I thought, cause the dude was popular. He was a sham. Then I went to the library and I was like, yo, this dude was legit. Mm-hmm. This dude was legit, man. Mm-hmm. Like you look at some of his sermons. I'm like, dude, he's saying the same stuff that like King is bro. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you read some of A.W. Tozier's works, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And it's like, they sound the same. Mm-hmm. Like Christians, true Christians, mature Christians back then Were foreigners Mm -hmm. to the American system then. Right. And that's, you know, to the American system, to the Western system, like, they were.
2: Yeah. And so to, yes, absolutely. And so to, you know, Dr. King's call, like, uh, are you willing to go through this process of self-purification and endure the suffering for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to do that today for something that is really... Not that hard to let
0: go of. I mean, what he's asking them is, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to fight for justice under the orders of the king? Yeah, is really what he's saying. I think of that scene from the first Pirates movie, um, where like you're gonna look. I understand. Hear me. I'm just trying right. to
2: think of what scene you're referring to. Right. Before you it's refer
0: it's, to it, it's, when, it's when it's uh, when Jack Sparrow and Will like steal the freaking ship. They steal the ship from the Royal Navy, and they're like sailing or whatever. And then you know. Jack's like, you know, your dad was a pirate, and then he gets mad. And then Will, like, swings the mast, and it, like, hits him, and he's dangling over the ocean now. And he's just like, basically, look, these are the rules of engagement. And, like, he ends the speech with saying, like, hands the sword back to him, are you willing and able to sail under the command of a pirate, or are you not? Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm like, this is what Dr. King is doing, but with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Are you willing and able... To fight for justice under the command of King Jesus, or are you not? Because if yeah. you're not, go over there, have fun with Malcolm X. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Malcolm X had a lot of good things to say, but he wasn't doing it under Jesus' banner. Right. Point blank simple. Like yeah. I said, a lot of good stuff. A lot of people demonize him uh, undeservedly, mm-hmm. but he wasn't doing it under the banner of Christ. Yeah. And that was kind of the big, that was really the, the dividing point, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. between uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X was like they both wanted similar things but Dr. King's like no I'm a servant of the king we, we, we have ways that we do things in the kingdom yeah. you know and that's what we're going to do you know if they hit you with a fire hose from a fire truck which if you haven't seen one of those things that's yeah, that's, of... that's death yeah. okay like if they hit you with one of those don't fight back they send wild dogs on you either stand your ground or run But don't fight. You know? And I've talked to family members that are like, well, if that's what it took, then I guess I'm not doing that. And I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. But you're spitting on the very thing that created your freedom to say that you're not going to live that way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So you can call it ineffective all you want to, but your whole life, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: African American, is a testimony to the fact that it works.
1: Yeah.
0: Oof is testimony to the fact that the way of jesus is actually effective Dang. regardless of if you personally put your faith in him or not can, can you tell he's passionate <laughs> like like jesus is the reason for my people surviving in this nation i would say is the reason for our people not becoming an american version of al-qaeda or mm. something
2: and See, fighting have,
0: against, you know what I'm saying? This is like what,
2: episode five or 6 we you're about to get us canceled.
0: Like I'm just saying.
2: We just got off the. Ground I'm just here.
0: like, I'm just saying. But but yeah. look, but look, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> like this is the sort of thing. This, yeah. The stuff that we went through historically in right. America is the stuff that terror cells yeah. are founded on. Right. Isn't it amazing yeah. that a terror cell, a domestic terror cell of mainly African Americans, never cropped up in America's history? Dang we had little rebellions here and there but no, nothing fully widespread mm-hmm. you think there might not be a king of peace behind that
2: crazy crazy
0: instead of crafting suicide vests you know we're, we're singing you know blessed is the chariot that'll carry me home
2: ooh I'm just but saying when man when we refer to America being a Christian nation we never refer to that we yeah. never refer to we the legacy of the
0: slaves part. never
2: yeah. we talk about the glory of the founding fathers being Christian and that we. Which is debatable,
0: but yeah. you want to know what's not debatable? The faith of the slaves. Right.
2: Like, that's never talked about when we talk about American Christian, uh, America being a Christian nation. The,
0: prayer, the prayers of the slaves and chains led to Dr. King.
2: Yeah. The
0: obedience of Dr. King led to your freedom. And we have the audacity to say, What's this Jesus ever done for me? Oof. Have fun with that on Judgment Day, is all yeah. I got to say.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, like, yeah. centuries.
2: Yeah. Oh my
0: goodness, yeah. Centuries, man. This reveals that we did not move irresponsibly into direct action. We, too, wanted to see Mr. Connor defeated. Uh, So we went through postponement after postponement to aid in this community need. After this, we felt that direct action could be delayed no longer. You may well ask, why direct action? Why sit-ins, marches, and so forth? Isn't negotiation a better path? You're exactly right in your call for negotiation. Indeed, this is the purpose of direct action. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and establish such creative tension that a community that has consistently refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. I just referred to the creation of tension as a part of the work of the nonviolent resistor. This may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I'm not afraid of the word tension. I have earnestly worked and preached against violent tension, but there is a type of constructive nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. Just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and half truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal, we must see the need of having non-violent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help men to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. So... The purpose of direct action is to create a situation so crisis-packed that it will inevitably open the door to negotiation. We, therefore, concur with you in your call for negotiation.
2: Ooh, hear this.
0: Too long has our beloved Southland been bogged down in the tragic attempt to live in monologue rather than dialogue.
2: Ooh, almost as if we're supposed to cause tension being Christian.
0: And I just want you to notice this is what God did. Every single prophet mm-hmm. was a nonviolent resistor mm. from the nation of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Sent into a rebellious Southland, you might call it, mm. to call for repentance nonviolently.
2: Crazy. This
0: is yep. the pattern of the kingdom.
2: Crazy.
0: Literally, my guy. Like, you can't you can't ignore that.
2: Yeah. You
0: can't. Jesus, the ultimate nonviolent resistor. Yeah. To the death. Yep. And beyond, bruh. You <laughs> know? Like One of the most basic points in your statement is that our acts are untimely. Some have asked, why didn't you give the new administration time to act? The only answer that I can give to this inquiry is that the new administration must be prodded about as much as the outgoing one before it acts. We will be sadly mistaken if we feel that the election of Mr. Boutwell will bring the millennium to Birmingham. Oh, but some Christians still think like that with trump, though.
1: <laughs> side the point,
0: side the point. While Mr. Boutwell is much more articulate and gentle than Mr. Connor, they are both segregationists, dedicated to the task of maintaining the status quo. The hope I see in Mr. Boutwell is that he, he will be reasonable enough to see the futility of massive resistance to desegregation, but he will not see this without pressure from the devotees of civil rights. My friends, I must say to you that we have not made a single gain in civil rights without determined legal and nonviolent pressure. History is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Individuals may see the moral light and voluntarily give up their unjust posture, but as Reinhold Neiber has reminded us, groups are more immoral than individuals. Mm. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Mm. Frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed according to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. It has been a tranquilizing, phthalo- Th- thalidomide relieving the emotional stress for a moment only to give birth to an ill-formed infant of frustration all
2: right explain that sentence for the people
0: <laughs> oh yeah okay so like <laughs> a tranquilizing thalidomide bro relieving emotional stress for a moment just to give birth to an ill-formed infant of frustration bro it, it, the way i read it, it it's an it's an abortion analogy but mm-hmm. for your conscience right like saying saying to the oppressed wait what you're doing spiritually when you do that is abortion, man. Like mean, that's what you're doing. Like you're trying to relieve the emotional stress of this conviction that God is birthing inside of you, but because God can't ever be truly conquered, it still comes out. It's just ill-formed. It's just ill-formed. You know that that's that's a striking that's a striking uh, picture there. <clears throat> Man, but hear this paragraph, my guy. We must come to see, with the distinguished jurist of yesterday, that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our God-given and constitutional rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed towards the goal of political independence, and we still creep at horse-and-buggy pace towards the gaining of a cup of coffee at a lunch counter.
2: Wait, pause for a second. So for our God given and constitutional rights, does it sound like Dr. King is against America?
0: Interesting, isn't it?
2: Interesting.
0: Interesting, is it so not? So you
2: can fight for justice and not hate America.
0: You can call a nation to repent and not hate the nation. Yes. You can, as we say all the time, hate the sin and love the sinner. Crazy. But on like a national scale.
2: Yeah.
0: It's just Christianity. Yeah. I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say wait. But when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her little eyes, When she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children, and see the depressing clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky, and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a 5-year-old son asking an agonizing pathos, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you, when you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes nigger and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and when your wife and mother are never given the respected title misses, when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness. (laughs) Then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice where they experience the bleakness of corroding despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience.
2: Ooh, harp on that. You said something when we were talking about this the other day about um, his daughter.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of the examples he uses in that really long run right there, um, that separates him from the leftistness of today, right? Yeah. Because the leftistness of today really does just despise white people,
1: yeah,
0: <clears throat> for no other reason really than white and the his and the history behind that. But in this paragraph, he's listing off tragedies. <clears throat> he's listing off tragedies from the racist, segregationist culture of the time, right? right. And one of the things he considers to be a tragedy is his daughter unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. Mm. And he sees that as a distortion of her little personality. Mm. Right? That's not who you are. You were not created by God to hate white people. Why? Because unlike... Now, some religions and thought processes, even amongst African-Americans, I'll call my own kind. Now, I'm afraid of it. Mm. Even amongst us, let's say that white people are of, the, are of the devil. What the Bible says is that all men were created by God.
1: Yeah. That
0: everyone's your neighbor and your call is to love your neighbor as yourself. You were not made to hate
2: yeah. anyone. All right. Yeah.
0: All right. Oppressed. You were not created to hate your oppressor.
2: Right. Because if we're called to be God's image bearers, God is not a God of hate. Right. (laughs) Because he is. Right.
0: Right. And, And so you see the uniqueness of the Christian distinctive. Right? How you don't really fit in anywhere. Right? The segregationists don't like him for obvious reasons. But leftists of today wouldn't like him either because he refuses to hate his enemies.
2: Yeah yeah and i think it's just contrary to again like what we've been saying it's just like what we're called to as christians like we're not called to when we also pick up the call for justice to in turn become bitter towards the oppressor
0: yeah because what you see historically is that when the oppressed gain their freedom usually through violent means they just become the next Mm -hmm. generation's oppressor right you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and it's what fueled is... fueled
2: by bitterness rather than a, a true desire of justice.
0: Right. Right.
2: Like, if you're fighting for, you know, a legitimate injustice, but the fuel for your fire is out of an angst or hurt or bitterness that is not rooted in Jesus, because Jesus doesn't, you know, produce the fruit of bitterness. Again, are you willing really... to march
0: to the king's orders?
2: Right. Exactly. Like, you're not truthfully fighting for... Justice.
0: Now, he also said something there that also needs uh, mentioning, right? There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men aren't willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice, right? That's biblical,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Just as much as you say, don't hate your enemies, but we all quote that, right? You read Ecclesiastes lately, Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse seven says the same thing with less words. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart, right? If oppression drives a wise person into madness, what does it do to a fool? What does it do to a fool? Right? Now that's not, that's not God condoning murdering your oppressors. That's just that that's God's word in in his wisdom simply saying this is how things are because I know how I made you. Right? Like you weren't made to exist in endless oppression forever. That's going to break you at some point. That's going to break a people at some point. Yeah. Right? So in a lot of ways Dr. King is saying here, look, repent. Because if you don't repent, Malcolm X and worse is coming. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and it's like, you know, we see that theologically today. You know? Like, if you don't repent now, they're going to rise up. And I'm not condoning them rising up. I'm just wise enough to see the writing on the wall. That's how people are. Yeah. That's what people are. Like, you wouldn't sit by idly while someone's, like, torturing your wife.
1: Right.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to wait on God for exactly four seconds. <laughs> and then take matters into your own hands. Yeah. How much more when you're t- looking at something like this? Mm-hmm. Wild, man. Wild, isn't it? We move on to the second half. (laughs) You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools, it is rather strange and paradoxical to find us consciously breaking laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. This is where we get theological, friends. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine when a law is just or unjust? We just going to let Dr. King preach for a minute Mm because he's about to go off. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or Mm -hmm. the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal or natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. To use the words of Martin Buber, the great Jewish philosopher, segregation substitutes an I-it relationship for the I-thou relationship and ends up relegating persons to the status of things. So segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, but it is morally wrong and sinful. Paul Tillich has said that sin is separation. Isn't segregation an existential expression of man's tragic separation, an expression of his awful estrangement, his terrible sinfulness? So I can urge men to obey the 1954 decision of the Supreme Court because it is morally right, and I can urge them to disobey segregation ordinances because they are morally wrong. Let us turn to a more concrete example of just and unjust laws. An unjust law is a code that a majority inflicts on a minority that is not binding on itself. Mm. This is difference made legal. On the other hand, a just law is a code that a majority compels a minority to follow and that it is willing to follow itself. This is sameness made legal. Let me give another explanation. An unjust law is a code inflicted upon a minority which that minority had no part in enacting or creating because it did not have the unhampered right to vote. Who can say that the legislature of Alabama which set up the segregation laws was democratically elected? Throughout the state of Alabama all types of conniving methods are used to prevent negroes from becoming registered voters and there are some counties without a single negro registered to vote despite the fact that the negroes constitute a majority of the population. Can any law set up in such a state be considered democratically structured? Mm. These are just a few examples of unjust and just laws. There are some instances when a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I was arrested Friday on a charge of parading with no permit. Now, there's nothing wrong with an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but when the ordinance is used to preserve segregation and deny citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceful assembly and peaceful protest, then it becomes unjust.
2: And it's such a twisted thing, too, because if it was another cause, it wouldn't be considered a parade. If you think about it. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Or I'm doubtful. I should say that it would be considered a. You know. Interesting. Wouldn't be considered a parade.
0: Of course, there is nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. Right. This is him saying, "You want me to back this up biblically? I got you a Bible." <laughs> It was seen sublimely in the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to obey the laws of Nebuchadnezzar because a higher moral law was involved. Check the book of Daniel for y'all. that don't know. It was practiced superbly by the earliest Christians who were willing to face hungry lions and the excruciating pain of chopping blocks before submitting to certain unjust laws in the Roman Empire. To a degree, academic freedom is a reality today because Socrates practiced civil disobedience. Crazy. We can never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal, and everything the Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany. But I'm sure that if I'd lived in Germany during that time, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers even though it was illegal. If I lived in a communist country today where certain principles dear to the Christian faith are suppressed, I believe I would openly advocate disobeying these anti-religious laws.
2: But but isn't that against... You
0: know, Peter? All I'm saying, man, is that the mature will hear this and the immature will harden their hearts to it. Because mm-hmm. it's obvious stuff, you know what I mean? Right. It's obvious. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years... Now, be prepared, y'all. Meredith's going to go off at some point. I'm going to interrupt at heart. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice.
2: Okay, which sounds very similar to today of, just wait. Just wait it out. It's, you know, it's better than it used to be. So it can't be that bad.
0: Yeah. Because we've improved. Yeah. You don't need to fight for more.
2: Right. There's, you know, we've already improved so much. We don't need to keep doing it.
0: By acting, by by fighting for more, you're essentially saying that you live in slavery times, which is untrue. Mm -hmm. So your whole message that improvement (laughs) needs to be made is also untrue. Come on. Crazy. Come on. That's wild. Your house has more features than it did when you first bought it. That doesn't stop you from improving upon it, right?
2: Right. Insane.
0: Come on, man. And that's with stuff you don't even need. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it's like I say all the time, man, don't confuse peace with quiet. They're not the same thing. Um, Who prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek but I can't agree with your your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection.
2: Alright, so this is... I got something for this. So, this reminded me of Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. So, and it, it just struck a chord. Like, this is the same sentiment that I remember hearing when I miscarried before getting pregnant with Amari, right? You know, this, this phrase that he puts it, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. So when I miscarried, there were a lot of things that were said with good intentions, right? Well, at least you can get pregnant. You know, uh, you're, I'm sure God will give you another one. All of those things, right? It's, it, there wasn't malice in those statements, but it stung, you know, like, yeah, I can get pregnant. I can't keep it. You know, like that stings in the same way here of um, like people saying, you know, it can't be that bad or, you know, it's a good goal, but it's just not realistic. Like all of these things that Dr. King is lamenting over and in frustration and a righteous indignation, right? It stings even more when people who have good intentions just refuse to work with you in your lament because lament isn't supposed to be isolating, it's supposed to be communal, because lament is a form of love, like it's a cry for something, cry out, crying out against something that ought not to be broken, you know, and in this case, like, you know, in the civil rights movement, in Dr. King's day, and in the same way now with a lot of the injustice that that we see in the world, even in America, it's... It, it instills and fuels more of an indignation towards the problem, which creates bitterness, right? Like it's it would be very easy for my heart to be very bitter when somebody says, well, at least you can get pregnant, you know? At least you got pregnant to begin with. Some people can't even get pregnant, you know? It negates the fact that a life was lost, you know? And so this Luke, like what he says, like this lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. like. It just showcases the shallowness of the human heart in that I refuse to get in the trenches with you because that means I have to get dirty. And, like, it's a good thing that you're upset, but, you know. And I just, I remember in, in grief a couple years ago of the miscarriage like this verse, it just struck a chord, you know, of, like, people are just oblivious to what they're doing in a sense. You know, they don't realize that these empty you know, empty sayings is actually salt on the wound. It's vinegar on soda, you know, as um, they say, as it says in Proverbs, like it's, it's all connected. It's this, when you refuse to humble yourself to somebody else's lament, you're actually showcasing the opposite of God's heart because God comes down to us in our grief. You know, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and our struggles and our griefs in the same way. That's what Dr. King is, crying out in this letter like if you go back to the beginning who is he writing to kari
0: yeah that's true that's true always got to look at the original audience fam always gotta look at that he's responding to his critics
1: yeah he's responding to
0: his critics that put out uh their you know admonition of his actions on the same day he got arrested Mm -hmm. funnily enough
2: and if i'm not mistaken they were a part of a christian organization uh, yeah, yeah,
0: there, there was clergymen that
1: were yeah. coming and against that's, them. That's yeah, and that's my
2: point, you know, is that that lament is even stronger. Like, his point here is that, like, this lament is even stronger because you're claiming to be my brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're refusing to do God's work with me, you know? It hurts even more because you're refusing to let yourself actually love deeply in the way that God calls you to.
0: I told you she was going to interrupt me hard, bro. <laughs> I told you. I told you. But it's worth it every time, man. Mm. In your statement, you asserted that our actions, even though peaceful, must be condemned because they precipitate violence. But can this assertion be logically made? Isn't this like condemning the robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unswerving commitment to truth and his philosophical delvings precipitated the misguided popular mind to make him drink the hemlock? Isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to his will his will being the father's, uh, precipitated the evil act of crucifixion, we must come to see, as federal courts have consistently affirmed, that it is immoral to urge an individual to withdraw his efforts to gain his basic constitutional rights because the quest precipitates violence. Society must protect the robbed and punish the robber.
2: Mm. And I think, too, kind of... it, It reminds me of Ephesians 5. Um... In Ephesians 5, you know, the for context, Paul is talking about how we're called to walk in love. Kind of like what I was just talking about a second ago. But verse 11 is what this reminded me of. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What does exposing do? It hurts. <laughs> you know, the, you know
0: you got to step into that creative nonviolent tension
2: yeah you know and you know the the overused analogy of like i mean not analogy just example you know everybody's heard it at least once i'm sure of you know if you're in a pitch black room it's dark no crevice of light it's just a dark box that you are in and light is exposed how do your eyes respond ouch they wince they you know you're trying to get away from it it hurts you know in the same way here you know like even though peaceful, it must be condemned because they precipitate violence. Well, that pain in your eyes is caused by the light coming in, but that's what we're called to do. You know? Sin being exposed and that darkness being exposed is hurt it hurts. It's it makes you feel raw, you know? That's part of sanctifying, you know? Sanctification isn't supposed to be this, you know, cathartic process in a sense, I guess, is what a lot of people consider it to to be or dream it to be, I, I would say, you know, but the act of sanctification and, or as he called it, the self-purification process that he and his, you know, his followers, like, all went through, is that you're, you're allowing yourself to, to get renewed, you know, in the same way, that's what he's calling us to go through, was like, yeah, it precipitates violence, but that doesn't mean that we are inflicting it or stirring it up, but, that's where passions lead you to, you know. Right. Unbridled passions, as Colossians put it, puts it. Right. You know. That yeah, to be lampstands for Jesus means exposing darkness through wisdom, which is what Dr. King was showcasing that he did through his like four steps. You know, I think all four of those steps showcase like being slow to, you know, slow to stir the, uh, slow to speak and. Um, and also making efforts to be peaceable among all men. That's something that a lot of us forget to do now. You know, they're very quick to, to call out injustices, but we're very slow to make peace with people, you know. And I think Dr. King did a very good job of being slow to build up to the extreme. Now. If you didn't call it extreme.
0: It's at this point that Amari's probably going to join us. <laughs> um, but... Uh, no intermission today i'm um, just gonna plot on through um i understand if you gotta pause and come back don't feel no guilt at pausing a episode at some point you know refreshing your mind for the next little bit of time but this is just how this is how meredith and i live
2: yeah you know what i mean like we have have continual
0: conversation continual conversation it's okay if you gotta pause it and keep it going bro yeah It's cool um but we gonna keep it going so if you paused and came back, welcome, <laughs> welcome. We will continue our dissection of the letter of Birmingham Jail, uh, just because we're in our flow. And like I said, uh, Meredith just went off to go get Amari just now. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up and continue, starting on page four, my little PDF. I had also hoped that the white moderate would reject the myth of time. I received a letter this morning from a white brother in Texas, which said the following, quote, All Christians know that the colored people will receive equal rights eventually, but is it possible that you are in too great of a religious hurry? It's taken Christianity almost 2,000 years to accomplish what it has. The teachings of Christ take time to come to earth, unquote. All that is said here grows out of a tragic misconception of time. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Um, I would sorely agree for a couple reasons here right that first sentence is really telling all christians know that colored people will receive equal rights eventually which means the prevailing attitude like he said wasn't one of their actually inferior it was just it's not my fight to fight
1: mm-hmm.
0: i don't need to take part in that god's got it which you know kane will address later uh, hello mori Um, but also just that idea of the teachings of Christ take time to come to earth. I've heard other people say that too, but what do you mean? Mm. What do you mean? Take time to come to earth. You mean take time to spread across the planet. It only takes as much time as there are disciples willing to spread them. Mm. It's not like it's some chemical reaction where if you mix baking soda and vinegar, you're going to get this reaction for this amount of time. No, you know what I mean? Like I've said this to people so much, man. Like, don't blame your lack of sanctification on God's will,
1: mm.
0: but blame mm. it on your lack of will to be sanctified. Ooh. According to the will of God, like it's not—that's
2: not, a, a quote right there.
0: It's not the same. Yeah. you know, like I've known people that are like 30 years with the Lord got the maturity of a five-year-old. I know five-year-olds in the faith with the knowledge and maturity of one that you would think's been walking for 15. Mm-hmm. More so than not, in the kingdom, growth is a measure of how much of your time has been applied in obedience Mm. not just how much time you've simply been quote-unquote on the church list
1: right
0: right you know and that's what and that's what this whoever this guy is that wrote in text is that that's what he doesn't understand yeah it is the strangely irrational notion that there is something in the very flow of time that will inevitably cure all ills actually time is neutral it can be used either destructively or constructively I'm coming to feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. We must come to see that human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. Mm. Amari likes hearing me talk. He's, yeah. (laughs) You spoke of our activity in Birmingham as extreme. At first, I was rather disappointed that fellow clergymen would see my non-violent efforts as those of an extremist. I started thinking about the fact that I stand in the middle of two opposing forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency, made up of Negroes who, as a result of long years of oppression, have been so completely drained of self-respect and a sense of somebodyness that they have adjusted to segregation, and, on the other hand, of the few, of a few Negroes in the middle class who, because of a degree of academic and economic security, and because at points they profit by segregation, have unconsciously become insensitive to the problems of the masses. The other force is one of bitterness and hatred, and comes perilously close to advocating violence. Mm. It is expressed in the various black nationalist groups that are springing up over the nation, the largest and best known being Elijah Muhammad's Muslim movement. This movement is nourished by the contemporary frustration over the continued existence of racial discrimination. It is made up of people who have lost faith in America, who have absolutely repudiated Christianity, and who have concluded that the white man is an incurable devil. You thought I was making that up?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, no,
0: that's actual theology from people. And still think, to this day.
2: And I think it's just a direct overflow of what, you know, you were elaborating on, his point about his daughter, you know, is that 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 can be a fruit. This, you know, mentality that he was talking about, excuse me, can be a direct fruit of segregation. And that's just as
0: much a trap of Satan.
2: Yeah. If you're majority
0: culture, I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to make you uncaring. If you're minority oppressed culture, I'm going to make you hateful.
1: Yeah.
0: And you're both, and you're both going to be lost on that day when Jesus comes back. Yeah. You know, like it's a trap, but also it's, you know, uh, how, how would I word it? It's, um, Uh, It's a testament to your own failure. It's one thing for a nationalist group to rise up in response to another non-Christian group that's just being oppressive. All right, that's not on us. But when the nationalist group is rising up and their direct thing is, yo, Christians are part of the oppression and aren't saying a thing about it, that's to your shame. Yeah. That's to your shame, as Paul would say. Man, that's... That's tough. I have tried to stand between these two forces, a foreigner you might say, saying that we need not follow the do-nothingism of the complacent or the hatred and despair of the black nationalist. There is a more excellent way. Oh, I love that. First Corinthians twelve and thirteen, man. Yeah. There is still a more excellent way of love and nonviolent protest. I'm grateful to God that through the Negro church, the dimension of nonviolence entered our struggle. If this philosophy had not emerged, I am convinced that by now many streets of the South would be flowing with floods of blood. Hmm. Again, praise the work of the spirit of Jesus Christ in the community of our ancestors for keeping us from what, you know, in the world we would have been. But also, like brothers and sisters, you should be humbled by the fact that in all honesty, the only thing, the only thing that has prevented a black nationalist domestic terror group from rising up has been the spirit of God working in the hearts and minds of people that a lot of times you dismiss. No. Like the grace of God to all of our lives is way more manifold and all encompassing than we even imagine. Then we can understand until we stand before him on that day and all our excuses die like when it says that like when it says that mouths will be stopped before god in context of where that verse is talking about it's talking about the law but i also feel like mouths are going to be stopped by the amount of mercy and grace that was shown that you didn't see Mm. you think i wasn't taking care of you let me explain how your very well life wouldn't have worked beyond any personal stuff like i healed you let me explain how I was working at a societal level to make your life even feasible. That's wild, man.
2: But <laughs> see, that's giving God too much sovereignty, you know?
0: Hey, man. Say what you want, man. Say what you want. King is a king. King is a king. I'm convinced that by now many streets of the South would be flowing with floods of blood. And I am further convinced that if our white brothers dismiss as rabble rousers and outside agitators, those of us who are working through the channels of nonviolent direct action and refuse to support our nonviolent efforts, millions of Negroes out of frustration and despair will seek solace and security in black nationalist ideologies, a development that will lead inevitably to a frightening racial nightmare. And I
2: think that's evidenced by the rise in like Hebrew Israelites mm-hmm. as of late
0: yeah you know? yeah, because especially now because it feels like dang we're this many years past Dr. King and we're still having the same conversations creates this sense of what has Jesus done for me which is of course a silly question to ask but again don't be quick to criticize when it's not you <clears throat> you know it's harder for me not to see myself in George Floyd than it might be for a white dude too not saying that a white dude can't. I'm just saying it's a lot easier for me.
1: Right.
0: I know some people believe that white people can't empathize, and I think that, too, is an idiotic position.
1: Agreed.
0: Oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. The urge for freedom will eventually come. This is what has happened to the American Negro. Something within has reminded him of his birthright of freedom. I would say it's the image of God on his soul. Well, that's just me. Something without has reminded him that he can gain it. Consciously and unconsciously, he has been swept in what he consciously and unconsciously. He has been swept in by what the Germans call the zeitgeist. And with his black brothers of Africa and his brown and yellow brothers of Asia, South America and the Caribbean, he is moving with a sense of cosmic urgency towards the promised land of racial justice. Recognizing this vital urge that has engulfed the Negro community, one should readily understand public demonstrations. The Negro has many pence-up resentments and latent frustrations. He has to get them out. So let him march sometime. Let him have his prayer pilgrimages to the city hall. Understand why he must have sit-ins and freedom rides. If his repressed emotions do not come out in these nonviolent ways, they will come out in ominous expressions of violence. This is no threat. It is a fact of history. So I have not said to my people, get rid of your discontent. But I've tried to say that this normal and healthy discontent can be channeled through the creative outlet of nonviolent direct action. Now, this approach is being dismissed as extremist. I must admit that I was initially disappointed in being so categorized. But as I continue to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Wasn't Jesus an extremist in love? I love this bit. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Wasn't Amos an extremist for justice? Who's Amos? Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a prophet in the Bible. Christianity, we out here like that. <laughs> Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Wasn't Paul the apostle an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Wasn't Martin Luther, the first one, an extremist? Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Wasn't John Bunyan an extremist? I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a mockery of my conscience. Wasn't Abraham Lincoln an extremist? This nation cannot survive half-slave and half-free. Wasn't Thomas Jefferson an extremist? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or will we be extremists for the cause of justice?
2: Yeah, so this part, I think, kind of rewinding a bit to, so I've not said to my people, get rid of your discontent. Um, But I have tried to say that this is normal and healthy discontent can be channeled through a creative outlet of nonviolent direct action. That just, again, reminds me of Colossians, where you know it says we're supposed to bridle our passions. It doesn't say that our passions are wrong. You know, like this passion for, or I should say against, the social injustices, right, um, isn't wrong, but how you go about it can be, you know. And I think another thing, too, is that a lot of time, like I've heard a lot of people as of late talk about, you know, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Well, Dr. King saw some positives in Thomas Jefferson, Why can't we talk about, kind of like what we were talking about, how we only focus on um, one aspect of a historical figure? You know, I feel like as of late, I hear a lot of negative things about Thomas Jefferson. You know, the fact that he owned slaves and had kids by them and stuff. Like Dr. King was willing to. And I'm like, yeah, and
0: all that's egregious, but can we focus on getting to Jesus? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right, because
2: that's what Dr. King was doing here by pointing out Thomas Jefferson. And that's one of his examples. You know? Yeah. Like, hello? He proves the point.
0: <laughs> A man that does not deserve, in my opinion, to be mentioned in the same breath as anyone else on that list. Yeah. Is put in that list. Right. Like, we trying to make peace, fam. we we trying right. to be the kingdom on earth, not the millennial, but we just trying to, you know, we trying to be Jesus' people. Yeah. Can we get to that? Yeah. You know? Argue with that. You're going to lose, but... Go for it. I had hoped that the white moderate would see this. Maybe I was too optimistic. Maybe I expected too much. I guess I should have realized that few members of a race that has oppressed another race can understand or appreciate the deep groans and passionate yearnings of those that have been oppressed, and still fewer have the vision to see that injustice must be rooted out by strong, persistent, and determined action. You know, kind of like sin, because that's what it is. I am thankful, however, that some of our white brothers have grasped the meaning of this social revolution and committed themselves to it. They are still all too small in quantity, but they are big in quality. Some like Ralph McGill, Lillian Smith, Harry Golden, and James Dabbs have written about our struggle in eloquent, prophetic, and understanding terms. Others have marched with us down nameless streets of the South. They sat in with us at lunch counters and rode in with us on the Freedom Rides. They have languished in filthy, roach-infested jails, suffering the abuse and brutality of angry policemen who see them as dirty nigger lovers. They, unlike many of their moderate brothers, have recognized the urgency of the moment and sensed the need for powerful action, antidotes to combat the disease of segregation." Alright, so again, for y'all that don't believe white people get it, they can and they do. In Jesus, they can and they do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not saying they don't outside of. But I'm just saying, look, man, in Christ, in Christ, you see it, man. Christ labors within the believer to help you to see it. And what is it that he's helping you see? The righteousness of God and the humanity of your neighbor. Yeah. That's Christianity. Let me rush on to, my, to mention my other disappointment. Don't get hard again. I have been disappointed with the white church and its leadership. Of course, there are some notable exceptions. I'm not unmindful of the fact that each of you has taken some significant stands on this issue. I commend you, Reverend Stallings, for your Christian stand this past Sunday in welcoming Negroes to your Baptist church worship service on a non-segregated basis. I commend the Catholic leaders of this state for integrating Spring Hill College several years ago. But despite these notable exceptions, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. I do not say that as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. I say it as a minister of the gospel, who loves the church, who was nurtured in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the cord of life shall lengthen. I had the strange feeling when I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus protest in Montgomery several years ago, that we would have the support of the white church. I won't lie. This is kind of how I felt around like the time of the George Floyd stuff. I was like, yo, they're gonna support us. They're Christians. And this is so obviously. This won't. This won't. This won't even be a debate. This is gonna be epic.
2: But instead, you we hear debates of, well, you know, George Floyd did do stuff before that incident.
0: Yeah. Or like
2: just, dude,
0: that doesn't what. 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 I mean, and not just—I mean, George Floyd. You gotta understand as a representation for all of it. You know what I mean? But like, I mean, come on, like, it, it, uh, man, it, it really is frustrating. It really is. I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be some of our strongest allies. Instead, some few have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. In spite of my shattered dreams of the past, I came to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and with deep moral concern, serve as the channel through which our just grievances could get to the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I've been disappointed. I have heard numerous religious leaders of the South call upon their worshipers to comply with the desegregation decision because it is the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues of which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular.
2: How often do we hear that today though? Of like, that's not really something for the church to touch. You know, that's, that's a political thing. They take care of that in D.C. as if God can't touch it. You know, but this next section, this next run, he's gonna go on a hundred thousand percent a word for the church of twenty
1: Mm twenty three. Mm mm-hmm. Mhm,
0: mhm. And here we go. We gonna we gonna let this one ride, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we gonna we gonna let the king preach, bro. You
2: can't interrupt this flow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we gonna we gonna let the little king preach, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta go for it, yeah. There was a time, there was a time, when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered, the, entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial and gladiatorial contest things are different now the contemporary church is so often a weak ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound it is so often the arch supporter of the status quo far from being disturbed by the presence of the church the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are but the judgment of god is upon the church as never before If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour, but even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham. Even if our motives are presently misunderstood, we will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation, because the goal of America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up with the destiny of America. Before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before the pen of Jefferson scratched across the pages of history the majestic word of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. For more than two centuries, our foreparents labored here without wages. They made cotton king, and they built the homes of their masters in the midst of brutal injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet, out of a bottomless vitality, our people continue to thrive and develop. If the inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us, The opposition we now face will surely fail. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of God are embodied in our echoing demands. I must close now, but before closing, I am impelled to mention one other point in your statement that troubled me profoundly. You warmly commended the Birmingham Police Force for keeping order and preventing violence. I don't believe you would have so warmly commended the police force if you had seen its angry, violent dogs literally biting six unarmed, nonviolent Negroes. I don't believe you would so quickly commend the policemen if you would observe their ugly and inhuman treatment of Negroes here in the city jail. If you would watch them push and curse old Negro women and young Negro girls. If you would see them slap and kick old Negro men and young boys. If you would observe them, as they did on two occasions, refusing to give us food because we wanted to sing our grace together. Mm. That's Christian persecution, fam. That, that is the book of Acts. I'm sorry that I cannot join you in your praise for the police department. It's true that they have been rather disciplined in their public handling of the demonstrators. In this sense, they have been publicly nonviolent, but for what purpose? To preserve the evil system of segregation. Over the last few years, I've I've consistently preached that nonviolence demands that the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek. So I have tried to make it clear that it is wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends. But now I must affirm that it is just as wrong, or even more, to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. Mm. I wish you had commended the Negro demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of the most inhuman provocation. One day the South will recognize its real heroes. Mm. They will be the James Merediths courageously and with a majestic sense of purpose, facing jeering and hostile mobs and the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer. They will be old, oppressed, battered Negro women, symbolized in a 72-year-old woman of Montgomery, Alabama, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride the segregated buses and responded to one who inquired about her tiredness with ungrammatical profundity. My feets is tired, but my soul is rested. They will be young high school and college students, young ministers of the gospel and a host of their elders courageously and nonviolently sitting in at lunch counters and willingly going to jail for conscience' sake. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream and the most sacred values in our Judeo Christian heritage. Mm. Never before. have I written a letter this long or should I say a book, I'm afraid that it is much too long to take your precious time. I can assure you that it would have been much shorter if I'd been writing from a comfortable desk, but what else is there to do when you're alone for days in the dull monotony of a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think strange thoughts, and pray long prayers? If I have said anything in this letter that is an understatement of the truth and is indicative of an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. If I have said anything in this letter that is an overstatement of the truth, and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. Yours, for the cause of peace and brotherhood. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, come on, man.
2: Yeah. Come on. Does that not, like, does that not appeal to you as a Christian in 2023?
0: Does that not stir your heart to worship Jesus and stir your heart to thank Jesus? Not just for the gospel, but for what the gospel purchased. Yeah. Like he didn't just he didn't just buy your ticket out of hell. Yeah. He bought you life, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Life. Uh-huh. And the authority and the power to challenge power structures like this. But not just for the sake of challenging them, for the sake of building kingdom realities down here, man. Yeah. For the sake of seeing souls saved. Like, listen, listen to me, man. Like Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't just fighting for the freedom of African Americans. Mm. He was fighting for the freedom of the oppressors, too. Because mm. they were in bondage to sin, man.
2: Crazy. Crazy.
0: Like, let, that that's what he was let doing. That,
2: let that sit on you, man. That the gospel is is preached. Not just for, you know, the physical liberation of... You know injustices that you see in this letter but for the eternal inju- you know the internal inju- the internal ramifications of your injustice
0: yeah yeah like like we we are moral situations before a just and holy god yeah and that had to get dealt with
1: yeah you
0: know what i'm saying like like had to get dealt with through jesus going to the cross yeah to pay for your sins god is a just god and when we say that we don't mean fair
2: right we mean
0: as the psalmist says the foundation of his throne is justice it is justice you can't be one of his kids and not care about justice it says in the proverbs that the righteous understand justice fully not ignore justice totally yeah you know but but in our generation as the church that's what we've done you know and and notice what King says was the true power age of the church. He refers back to the early days of Acts. Yeah. When the Christians were would consider it an honor to suffer for what they believe. And you would say and you would say, but 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 Reverend King, the Christians in the book of Acts had no power. Mm. They they were a social minority with, with no legal ability to change their situation. Yeah. And that was when the church was its most powerful. All right, you want to see a weak church? Look to the Catholic church during its heyday in England. That's a weak church. The church that has to control people through weird machinations, withholding the scripture, and burning all those that disagree. That, that's a weak church, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Same here in our day.
1: Yeah.
0: A church that needs a church that feels it needs the yeah. approval of the political system of the day or to have believers infiltrate the political system of the day to be effective is by definition a weak church Mm. because now you're not basing the strength of your ministry on the strength of the gospel and the power of god to change hearts and save souls but on the power of men and the power of beast-like power structures to somehow bring about holiness
2: yeah
0: last time i checked holiness was our was our thing We literally corner the market on holiness because Jesus owns it and Jesus owns us. And yet we make deals with the world systems to say, hey, keep us in power. Put our guy in the office and then we'll be fine. We'll be fine because we can't hope in the power of God to combat things like a transgender agenda. We got to have our boy Trump in office to do that.
1: Right. Or whoever
0: his successor is. If we don't have Trump in office, how are we ever going to make a dent? Well, the same way we always have, man. Preach the gospel, stand back, and be ready to suffer because life is tribulation.
2: Yeah. Ooh. But that doesn't sound comfortable.
0: Has the benefit of being true. Yeah. And life itself. Yeah. You know, life itself is knowing Jesus. Can we get back to that? Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, this is how I like to study black history with Jesus at the center. Yeah because history for the sake of history is cool but boring
2: yeah
0: i want to see how god's worked in history yeah and so that's what we're doing this black history month is seeing how god has worked in our people since we're entering an age where our people are starting to forget the god that makes us resilient
1: yeah and we're
0: getting to a point now where we're saying yo like we're resilient because that's just who we are and i'm like dude the unending well of vitality that king spoke of Was the Holy Spirit, man. Like, you want to know where the Holy Spirit was at in the colonial south, man? Check the gathering of slaves in the dead of night amongst Mississippi poplar trees, man. That's where you're going to find the Holy Spirit, dog. Mm. So comfortable in the hearts of slaves that the false gospel of the slave Bible couldn't find any purchase in there. Yeah. He is our heritage. He's always been our strength. African Americans don't walk out on him now. Don't walk out on him now, man. We're closer to the promise of the kingdom than we were back in King's day. Repent, man. Yeah. Serve him. Preach the gospel, and we're gonna have a grand old time when the King comes back. But until then, endure. And until next time, when we may or may not look at some more stuff that he said. <laughs> Go serve your king, man. Anything? Nah, man. Long enough episode. Y'all have fun with that. Peace.